come to kindergarten class. The Developmentally Appropriate Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy. And today we're going to be talking about the importance of building working memory. Well, I know this time of the year is, at least for me, is Mm. grading period. And I've been Mm. testing students. And so I would assume everyone is starting to at least get to that point in their school year where they're working on their first quarter or first trimester reports. And it becomes a little bit discouraging with some of the students who you know that you've been working and working and working with them and they still aren't getting it. It just seems like nothing is is making a difference for them. Mm -hmm. Like nobody is home. I've felt that before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think the most important thing to start with when we're talking about um, that the students who are struggling and just not getting it is to not be discouraged and and to know that the development of a child is a destination, not a race. And all children develop at their own pace and their path in the future is not going to be predicted by their success or failure in um, in two months of kindergarten. in two months of kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very tiny, tiny sliver of the big it's picture. It's a tiny sliver. <laughs> so don't be discouraged. But on the other hand, it is also a great big wake up call that you need to change the path that you are teaching the child. So we need to make sure that we change the path of our teaching with that child or those children who are struggling in our classroom. Because the Matthew effect has been so research-based and proven to be true, all teachers really need to pay attention to it. And the Matthew effect is basically the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So a child that comes to school with limited advantage of home or preschool experience, they come in, let's say, on level one. And a child that was raised in an enriched environment with lots of experiences comes in at a level 10. Mm -hmm. And that instead of that one moving up to meet the 10, what has what happens and what the Matthew effect talks about is how the 10 actually like doubles in their knowledge. So the 10 soon becomes a 20 and the one moves slowly to a 1.5. And so the, the gap, the gap gets bigger, the gap in learning gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, what research has uh, found from that besides the rich get richer and the poor get poorer is that they have discovered that if that gap isn't lessened by the age of eight, it will never be repaired. And so that is why it's so crucial in the early years to be deliberate about teaching young children and provide deliberate opportunities for practice in a very targeted, skill-based way so that um, they are able to make that growth. And from this research, they found that a typical child, they need to be exposed to uh, material 25 times to become an expert at that material. Mm -hmm. 
So think about your typical students and you present um, how to do CVC words 25 times. They have it way down and most of them way before the 25th time of, of practicing. Well, the children in tier two, they need 25 times 25 times of experience. So 25 times 25 mathematicians is a giant number. <laughs> and that is how many times they need it. So they need 25 times more times of practice than the typical students. But then it gets even more staggering because the tier one or tier three, the top tier students, mm -hmm. the most um, at-risk students in your classroom needs 25 times 25 times 25. Now, I wish I could tell you where that research is. I just learned it when I um, was studying um, reading courses in school, and then I found that research again when I uh, was trained by as a core trainer, and then when we got our master's maybe in reading. We'll, maybe we'll try to find it so, and link to it. Yeah, I'd love to find fact. it. We'll, we'll make an attempt to link to it after mm -hmm. after the fact. But I have certainly found that Which to be true. Which is belying how prepared we are for these podcasts for everybody. <laughs> yeah. So we have some so research. So now you know we wing we'll it. We'll have to find it later. <laughs> we wing it. And so that brings us to the working memory. Yes, please, let's move on to something because now I'm all just overwhelmed with <laughs> all the exposures my kids need and it how is. that's going to happen. It's overwhelming. And probably the, the most important thing is to when a child is struggling and you've done your testing and you found that what you are not doing isn't, isn't working for mm -hmm. this What's child... It? What you're doing isn't working. Yeah. yeah. So what you need to do immediately then is pull back and take the skill that they're struggling with and pull back to the precursors that are necessary for that skill and test them on that. So, so let's say I'm trying to have my student learn all the alphabet letters and it, they're just, it, it, nothing is changing. How, what do I pull back to? So if it's at alphabet letters, the thing you need to pull back to is it goes right to the working memory. Mm. Because most students that are having a hard time with visual memory and they're not able to um, retain what that alphabet letter is, they're, uh, they have everybody has sticky notes in their head, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> and they're, they... Their process of taking the alphabet letter, this is an A, and putting it in their brain on the sticky note before they file it in that long-term storage in their brain isn't working. And so the working memory is um, taking a skill and basically memorizing it. Mm -hmm. And so I really always like to think about the sticky note when I think about the working memory because... Today, when I was testing, we've been doing M all week because I'm teaching the Wonders curriculum that does letter of the week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I've been doing M all week long. And I thought, oh, they will at least know M. Because, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they respond M when we're doing whole group and guided instructions because, mm -hmm. of course, they have all that support. Mm -hmm. And so out of my students, I had two that knew M today. 
Now, why is that? Is it because I haven't given them a lot of opportunities to do M? Well, for the kids who need 25 times of exposure, those kids all immediately knew M. But for the kids that needed the 25 times 25 or the 25 times 25 times 25, they um, haven't had enough exposure to it. They have to have a lot more experiences with it. And besides that, they need me to pull way back and work on memory. Well, because you, I mean, if I understand what you're saying. I know. I'm sorry, people. <laughs> I'm kind of rambling. No, I'm just, I'm just trying to clarify for myself that sometimes what we really need to do is give them more practice on building connections in their brain because they don't have strong neural pathways to store information. Yeah. And it makes me think about um, games that I played in my childhood. And mm-hmm. just just by nature, because we we didn't have devices. And, and so we played games with each other and mm-hmm. made up things. And we played... My mom loved the game Going Across the Plains and... Mm-hmm. Um, the Little Red Hen and The Bishop's Cat and all those um, games that are just silly. But then when you think about it, it's it's memory building games. So the going across the plane games, I know there's two versions, but I think grandma made up the one version. Cause... I figured grandma made up the game, but <laughs> <laughs> well, can, can you find it on the internet? I don't know, but there's, I know I've seen the game before where you say, I'm going across the plains and I'm taking a stapler. And then the next person says, I'm going across the plains and I'm taking a backpack and a stapler. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm going across the plains and I'm taking a bed, a backpack and a stapler, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to remember the order you're out of the game. But grandma didn't play it like that. No. Let's 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 play it so everybody knows <laughs> how grandma plays it. When I go across the plains, I'm going to take a coke. When I go across the plains, I'm going to take a pillow. And then it it goes no, on keep, that keep everybody going. says yeah, everybody whatever says they're going one to thing say. they're going to take. And then I will say, and after everyone's said their thing they're bringing, I will say, I'm going to drink my coke. And then I say, I'm going to drink my pillow. <laughs> and then everybody has to say, I'm going to drink my, and then whatever they said they're going to bring. My kids love that game. Oh, and it's hilarious. Think it's hilarious. Yeah. What was it, the little redhead game? It is so remember. fun. And the thing you're building, either version, you're building memory, because this right. version, they have to remember to say, I'm going to drink my. Yeah. And, and they have to remember what they said. And in the what first they said. Yeah. And what they said. And so when you're building oral language, you know, just to be able to speak a complete sentence and remember the complete sentence. Because, you know, if five or six people are playing, you have to remember clear for six turns what you you said. Yeah. What was the little redhead game, though? You mentioned that one. I don't remember playing that one. Oh, you do. <laughs> what is it? I don't remember. Uh, let's see. So to play the little red hen, you will say, I have a little red hen. And you turn to the person to the right of you and you say, I have a little red hen. And she will look at you and say, does she cackle? And then she turns to the next person and says, I have a little red hen. And the next person turns to her and says, does she cackle? And she'll say to me, does she cackle? 
(laughs) And I said, yes, she cackles. Yes, she cackles. Yes, she cackles. That goes (laughs) to the people. And so that just continues all the way around until you get to the end person. And then the next person says, I have a little black cat. Does she meow? (laughs) Does she meow? And just the repetitive of asking and answering you know, does she cackle? Yes, she cackles. And then, yes, she cackles, you know, going back around the group and back and forth is building a working memory because if you have I had to remember your to you, turn. Yeah. If I had talked to you about this game like last week, I would totally have made up a Halloween version of that game and I would have played it. There's I've still been, time. I've been playing Halloween versions. That's what I was going to suggest were two doing. Halloween games. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. And well, so let's what get was, to those. Oh, the Bishop's Cat. The Bishop's Cat. The Bishop's Cat is an adorable cat. The Bishop's Cat is a black cat. The Bishop's Cat is a cuddly cat. The Bishop's Cat is a dandy cat. And so you just, you just <laughs> so do the alphabet. So, so that one is Until kinda, someone gets to X and then they just... And yeah, they can't do it. The end. <laughs> and so you just keep going around and around and around with the alphabet. Now that's definitely a level up from the kids we're talking about. But that's the kids to... that you're 25 times when you want to do alphabetical order. That's a great game. Now the way to play the Bishop's Cat with to build working memory would be... Um, my bishop has a cat. And the next person would say, my bishop has a cat and a dog. And the next person would say, my bishop has a cat, a dog, and a horse. Mm-hmm. So just some kind of animal the, like I'm that. I'm going across the plains version. Yeah, a version like that. And I've been and playing a Halloween version like that with how Hall- that with our costumes. Oh. And it's been pretty fun. I, I start it and I, I say, I'm going to be a witch for Halloween. And then I point at someone and they say, Mrs. Crane is going to be a witch for Halloween and I am going to be a dog. And then I point at another person and he has to point at that kid and he'll say, he's going to be a dog and Mrs. Crane's going to be a witch. And so then I point at the next person and we, I do it around a circle. So it's a little easier, you know, I'm not zigzagging around mm-hmm. and it's been really fun. They've really I, enjoyed you know, that. The little red hen one you said would be a fun one for Halloween too. Cause you could say like, I, I am a little ghost. Do you, do, do you boo? Do you boo? <laughs> do you boo? Do you yes, boo? Yes, he boos. Yes, he boos. Yes, he I was just thinking people could come in your room and see you playing that game and not even know that you're building working memory of your students when it's so important. Well, there's just so many little techniques that we can do like this that people wouldn't really recognize what your objective is in your classroom because it looks fun. It's just a fun game you're playing. But the objective would be working memory. Another thing that is really good for working memory is sounds. And so I just take on my, you know, I used to have to carry a big reel-to-reel tape player in the old days of teaching, (laughs) and now I have a cell phone. (laughs) And so I just um, go around and maybe get five sounds in the house. Always flush the toilet is one because they love it. (laughs) So flush toilet, run water, you know, sounds that, that are going to be easy. A dog barking, a car honking. And let's say, what's a fifth easy one? (laughs) A kid screaming, something like that. (laughs) And so I record those sounds. 
And then I play it and they say what it is. And then I play it and then I, they say what it is. So we practice those five sounds and then I record them in the same sounds and I make them so two go together. So a toilet flushes and a car honks. And so then they have to tell me what two things they heard. And then after I play the two things for a while, then I'll make it three sounds in a row. And, you know, it sounds easy, but for these kids with that are struggling with working memory, um, it's pretty difficult when it comes up to the five sounds to be able to say in succession what they were. Yeah. And it would build their oral language at the same time. Mm-hmm. Look at you. And a little bit of early phonological development, right? I know. Hitting Remember so the game Simon? Was Simon, that was probably from your era, wasn't it? The that Simon that, game? That game where you had to match colors or... Uh-huh. Where it starts out with one pattern and you copy that one pattern yeah. and then it does two patterns yeah. and you copy two patterns. Well, that that is great for working memory, but a way you can do it in the classroom with just what you have are rhythm instruments or rhythm sticks. Oh. I or even spoons or anything, anything that bangs. <laughs> and so you go with your sticks and then they'll go, and then you'll go, and then they'll go, and then you'll go, and they'll go. <laughs> and that's really great because um, they're once again forced to listen to you, put that sticky note in their brain, mm-hmm. and then they perform it. Mm-hmm. Games... Games like concentration would build working memory, right? Mm-hmm. Where they have to turn over two cards and find the matches. That would be a good one for working memory. Yeah, if you have any doubts that your child might be suffering from um, a working memory problem, take like eight cards so there's only four possible matches and play a game of memory with them and see how much they struggle with that concept that should be very quick and easy because there's only four matches possible. Mm-hmm. Kids really struggle with memory games. So that's why you're supposed to play them a lot. I think the idea that if our kids aren't, are struggling to learn the things we're trying to teach them, that can be really frustrating to just keep repeating the same concept over mm-hmm. and over and feel like you're not getting anywhere. But I think it's this is good to know. This is good to know that we can build their memory f- uh, so that they can hold on to the information better. That gives that gives you a plan of attack. That gives it you does. A it gives you a plan of attack, and what you can do is you can just keep drilling that alphabet with your entire class. Because you have because, to have like twenty five times twenty five times twenty five yeah. exposures. So you you give anyway. your, your tier one instruction to the whole group, mm-hmm. but then when you pull back your small groups, you need to remember that instead of just drilling this alphabet letter over and over and over again pull back and go down a level to um, working memory. Mm-hmm. Another thing that is great for working memory is card games. Simple card games like Uno and Fish and Crazy Eights and anything where there's rules, any rule of the game or any um, memory of how to play the game, they're all great. Finger plays, singing songs, and... Um, 
all those what do you call them lap lap time activities yeah all those lap time activities <laughs> nursery rhymes another thing that i just love is um metacognition games because mm-hmm. metacognition basically is a working, working memory. memory and the ability to actual actually make pictures in your brain and so the song bingo i you know it's a million ways that you can sing bingo my favorite for halloween you know would be um b-o-n-e-s oh bones is his name mm-hmm. or s-a-n-t-a oh santa is his name for Christmas. yeah and i have this uh, i have this song of bingo the the word cards on my my thing and i just changed the thing to do it but that's really good working memory to, you know, hide the letter and have them remember what it is. And and they won't, the lower kids won't recognize the letter necessarily because they don't know their letters yet. Mm-hmm. But because you're singing the song S-A-N-T-A, they're spelling the word because they're doing it all Well, and as you, take, as you take the letters out, like you do in the bingo song, that would help develop working memory because they have to remember the, the pattern, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. A B I N G O clap I N G O clap. That was that's kind of tricky to remember. Oh, it's that tricky. pattern, especially as it changes as you take letters out. It gets yeah, tricky. yeah. And when I take the letter out, like I turn, like let's do bones B O N E S, and so I turn over the B, and I want I have the whole chart printed. One teacher asked one time, "How come you have that three times?" Well. It's three times in the song. And and I, you know, even though it's the same thing over and over again, because I'm teaching metacognition, I have you want I, want, accurately I want it reflect. to have bones, bones, bones. So I turn mm-hmm. over all three Bs. And mm-hmm. then when the card's turned over, I touch my brain. Mm-hmm. To think then, about it, to picture yeah, it. Yeah, to, to picture, picture it. And it's a, that's another fun way to do it. Do you have any other metacognition games? Uh, yeah, another one is just basically telling a story orally to the students. Mm-hmm. And today I told them a scary story about the teeny tiny woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you with the inflection in your, your voice and, you know, just telling the story orally, they're putting the pictures in their brain. And I think... A lot of teachers skip that step of oral storytelling mm-hmm. because, you know, we have so many books, we have videos, we have we have a myriad of things. Of and, visual information. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we are visually there. But if you really want to see a great impact on your students, tell them a story. And one of the stories I like to tell my students is at Thanksgiving time is, about growing up on a turkey farm and when the turkeys chased me in. <laughs> and so I just really build the story up and, of course, embellish the story to make it better because that's what <laughs> I do. <laughs> and, and just use a lot of um, imagery in your, in your speaking. And before you start the story, tell the kids, now I'm going to tell you a story and instead of showing you pictures in a book, you're going to put those pictures in your brain. So let's practice. Everybody, think about a turkey. 
all right, put that turkey in your brain. And and for the lowest students, I will actually show a picture sure, of a turkey I was gonna first. Say. Because, and, and the ELL kids, I will show them a picture of a turkey and say, like this, like this turkey, put this turkey in your brain. So at first I'll challenge them to do it without the visual prompt, but then I'll mm-hmm. show them a visual prompt. And then... Um, throughout the story, I'll, I'll remind them to put that picture in your brain. Like hundreds of turkeys were chasing me and I was running and I was crying. Put that picture in your brain. I'm crying. And of course I can cry on command, (laughs) on demand because you know, (laughs) of course you can. I can. And so I start crying, tears going down my cheeks imagine imagine that in your brain and the kids just the looks on their faces they're so engaged in the story (laughs) that you know that that it is helping them build that visual imagery it's an engaging story should why don't you tell us all that story (laughs) i will at thanksgiving time (laughs) (laughs) i'll save it for then i remember that story yeah, it's a you good told one. you told me that story many times. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So um, another thing I wanted to talk about because it's kind of it's not really to do with working memory, but sort of. So is that okay? Sure, it's your I podcast. Saw, <laughs> I, <laughs> I saw on one of the Facebook groups a teacher saying that their their student they had a student that was struggling with CVC words. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, my instinct is, hello, it's October. <laughs> <laughs> and have you, um, you know, done everything you need to do before you do worry before about CVC there. words. And so for any skill, like we talked about the alphabet, this, we need to pull back to working memory. Well, for any skill that a child is struggling with, you have to pull back. So if a child is struggling with sounding out a CVC word, like a lot of times, this is a typical problem of a student. They'll say, ka-at, horse. Yeah. Because they can sound it out, but they can't put it back together in their brain. They can't hold all that in their brain. Yeah. It takes so much effort to just figure out T says T. They forgot the other things by the time they get there. Which is, of course, you know, a working memory problem. But you need to pull back. So if my student is struggling with CVC words, then I need to pull back. Did I correctly introduce and did the child master beginning sounds? Did I correctly introduce and did the child master ending sounds? Did I correctly introduce and did the child master in uh, medial sounds. Well, if they didn't master those three things, then we are way over expecting what our students are able to do. So even before the beginning, middle, and ending sounds, did I introduce and did the child master onset rhymes? And so you just go down the timeline of teaching and find where the problem is. So if you work individually with the student that's struggling with any reading skill and you work backwards down the instructional timeline, you will soon find what it is that's holding your child back from that skill. You know, I I don't know if I should say it, but I'm just thinking there's such a push, push, push to get kids to the, the end of, you know, whatever your goal is. That sometimes yeah. it's hard not to rush through all the places they need to go on their journey to get there. 
Well, and that's one of the things when I read the post, I was, I was sad in the first place because, you know, if, if this is just her high group, then great, you know, because you have kids like that. I've had kids like that, that, um, you know, they're ready and I want to individually teach them and reach their needs. And yeah, they're ready for CBC words, but as a whole, kids are not ready in kindergarten for that at this point of the year. They're just not ready. And Lillian Katz, probably my hero of all times, the great early childhood guru, she made a statement in a conference that I attended one time at Idaho State University. She was the speaker, and she was talking about how people are pushing children. And this was was in the 90s, (laughs) in the early 90s when she was speaking. And she was talking about how people were pushing children too hard, too fast, too soon. And she made the comment that when we're doing that, kids, some kids step up. In fact, lots of kids step up. And so it encourages, encourages us as teachers to push harder, faster, and sooner. But at what cost are we doing this? Just because a child can do it, does that mean they should do it? And I really stopped and reflected on that because then she went on to talk about um, oral language and working memory and, and all the beginning skills that um, students so desperately need. Rolling Play-Doh to build hand muscles and, and um, playing in the water table, playing in the sensory table learning how to take turns and play in a dramatic play center or playing with blocks, building a fence for their pumpkin, (laughs) (laughs) like I saw your class did today. You know, but I am heartened because I went to a district training and guess what the trainer told me? (laughs) What? He said... I'm not going to be surprised. (laughs) The trainer said... We're not using the DRA anymore to determine if kids have met the appropriate level by the end of the kindergarten because a kindergartner can get to a level four or five or six based on just learning a bunch of sight words. And we know from research that if a kid's learned to read only on sight words that they get to third or fourth grade and they crash. So we're not using the DRA to measure anymore. We're using the dibbles. And what we care about is if they have strong phonemic awareness. Okay, I'm so sorry that I underestimated what your person and was I going said, to say. I know, I it was can't good. Believe I just wanted you... to say amen. Oh, my word. That's what my mom says all the time, though, so. <laughs> well, it's so true. The sight word thing just has me, I, I just want to say bedazzled. <laughs> That means like all covered in sparkles. I know, but that just that just be, is the only befuddled? word I can come up with. Befuddled. It's befuddled, but That's I'd rather say bedazzled because it's more fun. To but say. it's befuddled because um, change moved, the meaning of bedazzled. I know I am. I've moved to a new district, and I've never had a district with unrealistic expectations of sight words, and this one has 100 words for kindergartners. What? Yeah, and I honestly, yeah, I honestly wanted to cry. I have a student on his IEP. It says he will know sixty sight words at the end of kindergarten. <laughs> on his IEP, oh my goodness! 
And I just, I am so saddened because I've worked in districts that really have held on to reading research and early childhood research. And they realize that um, actually it's harmful to teach kids too many sight words. Now, kids are naturally going to learn a lot of sight words when they're Mm -hmm. ready. But if your goal is, the whole state of Idaho has a statewide goal of 25 words for kindergarten students. Mm-hmm. And well, when it's I not to, like this. And Wonders, the yeah. Wonders program has 40 has sight 40. words. Now, I can live with those. Well, and there's nothing wrong with teaching sight words. It's just that if you no. overdo it, you can artificially inflate what what they're doing to make it seem like they're doing better than they're doing, and you can mask a whole bunch of problems that are going to get them down the road. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the scary part about learning 100 sight words without the phonological awareness and the phonics and the working memory and the alphabetic principle, because you can mask it. If you just drill sight words all year long, you can get really good test scores by the end of the year. And you will mask a whole lot of problems. And that's what's scary to me about it. And that's, and that's what's scary. And that's why I have seen a lot of students that were doing... I've, I think I've t- talked We've about talked this. about this a lot. Yeah. Oh, I know. Here we go again. I'm saying it again. A lot of students that are really high in kindergarten struggle down the road. And it's sight words. Yeah, well, there we are on our soapbox again. Let's, <laughs> any other any other uh, tips about working memory? Yeah, let's go back to working. Let's memory. go back Maybe. to working memory. Let's get off. So I think let's just end with um, one more working memory tip that's Halloween based. <laughs> Is uh, Target? I found a basketball that's a jack o' lantern, mm-hmm. and. I, I've been using that for all kinds of working memory games of roll the ball around and, and the kids um, say it. So besides the costume game that I referred to earlier, I did one today that we had to talk about um, Halloween spooks. So I said, I like witches. And then I rolled the ball and they said, I like witches and cats. And then rolled the ball I like witches, cats, and pumpkins. And before I play this game, because I need to provide uh, greater links or anchors for my students, I make sure that I have sung songs, read books about different Halloween creatures. Mm -hmm. I have pictures. I have a poster of Halloween creatures. Mm -hmm. You know, and so before I play the game, I will say, oh, there's a goblin and a... (laughs) You know, here's some words things. for you. <laughs> yeah, here's some words. <laughs> because it's not as much the words as the retaining and memorizing what people in front of you say. Mm-hmm. And probably the most important thing to remember when you're going to play any working memory games is to start small. Like with the sounds, I started identifying one sound and then identifying a group of two sounds. So I will roll, you know, me to the next kid to the next kid and if I'm successful with three kids then I'll do the next group of three kids and the next group of three kids and then I will so go you won't and... let the list get too long I, I won't let the list get too long because I want to have success mm-hmm. for them and I want to build their working memory not frustrate <laughs> not overwhelm their <laughs> I don't want their memory. sticky note stack to <laughs> fall out of their head <laughs> 
And so that's my tips, I guess. I just think that the working memory is something that people don't talk about a lot. I think it's something that um, we really need to remember and work on. And it's actually a topic that I'm going to present this summer. You are? How, how to build the working you, memory. You picked your topic, huh? That's one of them. <laughs> we hope that this has given you some good ideas and eased your frustration if you're trying to teach kids and it doesn't seem like anything's working. Here's some, here's some ideas for you. And if you want to learn more about us, you can visit us at kindergartenkiosk.com and you can write to us at kindergartenkiosk at gmail.com. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators. By educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's E-D-U podcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?